3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Welcome, welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Uh, today, we have in the studio Priya and Leela. Say hello. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. How is everybody feeling on this hopefully very sunny, warm day? Well, I mean, I came in, as I mentioned earlier, with a general feeling of malaise. Is it malaise? Is that how you say I it? I think it's malaise. Yeah. I- I read it a lot during lockdown and it was like, you know, if you have a general sense of malaise. So I am, we're doing a COVID safe show and I'm over in studio too. Yeah. And uh, I, how am I feeling today? I'm feeling sweaty. You know, I thought, I thought it'd be a bit cold to ride in wearing shorts this morning. So I was like, I'll just wear my long pants and I'm already regretting it, folks. So if you're thinking about uh, wearing pants today, might I suggest shorts or something even breezier because it is getting humid in here. It is. Also, I'm worried about when I go to work and they crank up the AC because it's a hot day. That's true. And I don't have my cardigan. I don't have my safety cardigan. What am I going to do? I don't know. I love to get sick when it's really hot outside and then it's really, really cold in the office and the temperature differential makes me unwell because I'm a baby. Um, happens to the best of us. How about <laughs> we go through our big, beautiful show that we have on today? Priya, do you want to kick us off? Oh, I think it's Leela. Leela, sorry, oh, my yeah. apologies. So first up at around 7.20, we're going to be joined by Dr. Asta Tomar uh, to cover the report on women-only psychiatric wards from the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system. Dr. Asta is the current chair of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists Victorian branch, as well as the head of Youth Mental Health Services at Peninsula Health. She has over 20 years of experience in psychiatry across multiple countries, and please be advised that this interview, the first one this morning, will contain some distressing content and if you need support you can call Lifeline on 13 1114 or QLife on 1800 184 527 and for mob only support you can call 13 Yarn on 139276. Then we are joined by Shirley Winton, who is a co-convener of the Independent and Peaceful Australia's Network Victoria Branch, member of the No Orcas Victoria Coalition and the Australia Anti-Orcas Coalition, and has been involved in organising the mass rally calling for truth, not war, and commemorating the 20th anniversary of the US-led war on Iraq, which is the anniversaries on the 13th of February 2003 in Melbourne. Uh, which will be held at the State Library 1pm Saturday the 18th of March. Uh, so that's it Saturday. Shirley is also a long-time unionist and organiser with CWU and NTEU and a member of Victorian Peace Network and Western Suburbs Peace Group. Yeah, and uh, 
Speaking of events that are happening on Saturday, we will then be joined by Slumber Kitty, who's an activist involved in fighting for liberation from the Western patriarchal gender binary system and organizing with trans queer solidarity. And they're going to speak with us about the solidarity contingent plan to resist two anti-trans events that are scheduled for this coming Saturday, the 18th of March at Victoria's Parliament House Steps. So one event features UK activist Kelly J. Keane, uh, who has been engaged in uh, some quite clearly anti-trans rhetoric, while the other is led by far-right networks protesting queer and trans children. So Saturday's Trans Queer Solidarity Contingent will be one of a string of, um, as far as I've seen, quite well-attended national protests against Keen's speaking tour. So if you're in Melbourne this weekend, please show up if you can. If you're heading to the State Library at 1 p.m., um, try and get to this first. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can find out more by heading to at Trans Queer Solidarity on Instagram or at Trans Queer Solly on Twitter. And finally, we're going to be joined by George Newhouse, who's the CEO of the National Justice Project, to speak about the upcoming relaunch of Copwatch, which is a campaign to empower Indigenous people to protect themselves from police overreach and discrimination. And Copwatch was first launched in 2017 and involves an app, website and community education program which teaches Indigenous people how to legally record and document police misconduct for community safety and police accountability. So... Amazing show, as always, really important topics. And yeah, if the first interview is distressing, feel free to come back in the 15 minutes um, from at 7.45. But right now, let's uh, take a little break and then we'll come back to you shortly. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. So these are the news headlines for Thursday, the 16th of March. Activists are calling for immediate cancellation of Australia's nuclear-powered submarine acquisition, which was confirmed under the Australia, US and UK deal, commonly known as AUKUS, this week. The federal government confirmed that $368 billion will be spent on the development of 13 nuclear subs, which activists say comes at the expense of spending on urgent climate mitigation, housing, hospitals and education. The Independent Peaceful Australia Network says the venture is reckless and misusing taxpayer funds and have called for the deal to be cancelled immediately. Meanwhile, the Albanese government has requested formal talks with the global nuclear watchdog to allay concerns AUKUS could lead to undeclared nuclear activities in what many describe as a dangerous loophole in the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. In other news, elected members of the First Nations People's Assembly of Victoria are gathering in Melbourne to conduct final preparations for treaty negotiations in Victoria. 
As the state moves closer to a historic agreement with First Nations people, the First Nations Assembly says many locally specific treaties will be necessary, as well as one statewide treaty to tackle overarching issues. The treaty the treaties are part of a push to drive systemic reform and to combat health, education and justice disparities for First Nations people. Also in headlines, Australia's energy regulator has this week warned that electricity prices are set to rise by up to 30% in some states, with Victoria set to see the highest increase. The government's short-term plan for energy price relief includes consumer and small business rebates and are pushing for increased renewable energy in the grid in the longer term. Advocates such as the Socialist Alliance are speaking out, saying that there should be caps on the cost of energy and water, especially for low-income earners, and that wages should be indexed to automatically rise to match increased cost of living. And finally, in news headlines this week, disputes have been lodged to the Fair Work Commission against eight private aged care employers who are refusing to pass federal funding they receive for wage increases onto nurses and personal care workers. Following the February announcement of a rate increase, aged care provider representatives told the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation Victorian branch that they are waiting to see if there are legal requirements for employers to pass on the entire funding amount. The Aged Care Royal Commission found that low wages and high workloads were key factors in poor outcomes for aged care residents. These have been the news headlines for Thursday, the 16th of March, and you're listening to 3CR 855am. The US and the UK under AUKUS are pushing Australia into another imperialist war. At the same time, whistleblowers who expose war crimes are jailed. Come to the rally and march for peace, truth, not war. 18th of March, beginning at 1pm State Library, marching to Treasury Gardens. Help build a people's movement for peace. No AUKUS Roundtable is a 3CR supporter. Wah carries the stories of our ancestors, forever watching over us and protecting us. Join me, Taldem Chogo Edwards, for Balamwa, a journey of stories, yarns and music about freedom and survival from 2pm to 3pm every Thursday afternoon on 3CR, 855 on your radio dial. As I walk alone on my dreaming track tonight I can hear the voices of my elders Their ancient sounds echo in my mind To the beat of clapstick and the dancing And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And we're going to head to a track now. This is Ripple by Sicko, Flume and Chrome Sparks. Take one and light it Cause it's a lot to figure out Know what I'm hiding 
That was Ripple by Psycho, Flume and Chrome Sparks. And then we're going to play you another track in a little sec. So come back in a tiny sec. Did you know that 3CR received its community radio license in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe.
And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. It is 716 in the morning. And we're going to head to another track. This is Sweat You Out My System by Maya. CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. All right. 
North Preston Life Saving Club is a new creative space, gallery and studios run for and by queer artists with disability. They're currently taking applications for studios and membership with priority given to disabled, queer and BIPOC communities. They'll be running workshops, holding community events and showcasing works by local and interstate artists. The North Preston Life Saving Club crew are seeking assistance in getting up and running and they need your help to get three-phase power to run equipment, including a kiln. To find out more and to show your support for independent creatives, please visit their Facebook page, North Preston Life Saving Club. North Preston Life Saving Club is a 3CR supporter. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And you just heard the track Sweat You Out My System by Maya. Now, Leela, I think we're ready to go to our next interview. Yes, so just a little warning before we get started. Please be advised that the following interview contains distressing content addressing gender-based violence that may be upsetting for some listeners. Please take a moment now to consider tuning out if this content is not suitable for you. If you require immediate support, you can contact Lifeline on 131114. For LGBTQI plus peer support, call QLife on 1-800-184-527 and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people can call 13YARN for mob-only support on 139276. Next up, we're going to be joined by Dr. Asta Toma to cover the report on women-only psychiatric wards from the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system. Dr. Asta is the current chairwoman of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists, Victorian branch, aka RNZCP, as well as the head of Youth Mental Health Services at Peninsula Health. She has over 20 years' experience in psychiatry across multiple countries and jurisdictions, including India, New Zealand and Australia. Good morning, Asta. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Priya, is it? Yeah? Oh, this is Leela. We've also got Priya in the studio as well. Um, thank you so much for making time. So let's get straight into it because we've got a lot to cover today. First up, I wanted you to go over... What are the findings of the Royal Commission's report on women-only psychiatric wards and why are psychiatrists calling on the Victorian government to introduce them at the moment? Thanks for the question, uh, Alira. Uh, I suppose as a background, it's important to understand that the Royal Commission's report into Victoria's mental health system is seen as a landmark report. I think largely because it moves away from that paradigm of, you know, we treat illnesses. But it goes into not just talking about mental health well-being, but it also gives very specific changes which are needed to create a future, a better future mental health and well-being system. A system which can provide holistic treatment, care and support for Victorians when they need it. Now, the reform process, it does outline, it. you know, it is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get this right. And I think it's important to remember that Victoria was considered a world leader in mental health till just 10, 15 years ago. But consistently poor attention and financial allocation from various governments since then has led it into the current broken, fragmented system, which it is today. And it is unable to deliver what it was meant to, 
a good health care for people struggling with mental illnesses. So as a background again, Premier Dan Andrews called for the setting up of the commission in November of 2018. So it's, it's a few years ago now. Mm. And the commissioners worked all, almost over two years to release the final report, and it had a total of 74 recommendations. And to his credit, uh, Premier Andrews did accept all the recommendations. He also made a financial commitment of almost $6 billion as a 10-year reform. Now, it's important to remember that because it is an unheard of a financial commitment by any government to mental health, not just nationally, but internationally too. So it has generated that hope for everyone that we will finally get a mental health well-being system which people can rely on at their most vulnerable times, you know, when they're struggling with a mental illness. Now, the same report was clear in its finding that gender-based safety issues do significantly impact a woman's experience of the inpatient mental health care. And it goes on to recommend, and I would quote, eliminate, so it says, eliminate sexual and gender-based violence in all bed-based service settings. It specifically states that all mental health inpatient units should have the option of gender-based separation in all bedrooms and bathrooms to provide separate communal spaces and an option. But more importantly, the priority has to be given that we have gender-based separation in all existing high-dependency units. Now, the high-dependency units are about the acute inpatient unit, which is a place for the most vulnerable or a person at the most vulnerable time when the most unwell in those facilities. Now, it had a timeline. This was recommended to happen by the commissioners of the Royal Commission by mid-2022. In addition to what the report has said, we have something called a new Mental Health and Wellbeing Act 2022, which will come into force on 1st of September 2023. And in that, it emphasizes gender safety in the principle. It also recognizes that there has to be a recognition of diversity and we have to address gender-based violence. So that's why Victorian branch, College of Psychiatrists, RNZCP, is calling on the Victorian government, Premier Dana, Minister for, for Mental Health, to do prioritize this. Sorry, thanks. No, thank you for that I detailed get a little background. Away with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to know that background information, it sets up some context for what we're going to go into more in depth. So I was reading your statements um, in, for RANZP. It's quite a mouthful. And you mentioned unsafe environments across the spectrum of patients, carers and workers, which I hadn't really heard spoken about before. Could you speak more on what has led to this current environment of unsafety at many public mental health services in Victoria that spans patients, carers and workers? So we have ample reviews, surveys, advocacy documents, which have consistently showed, identified that many people do not feel safe and they're not sexually safe when accessing the acute mental health inpatient treatment. Women do report feeling unsafe when they are in these places, and they do experience unacceptably high rates of violence. Now, incidence of sexual violence experienced by women in these settings is a significant issue. Mental Health Complaints Commission, it released a report in 2018. The report was titled The Right to be Safe. And it did find high rates of sexual assault, sexual harassment, 
within acute hospital inpatient units in Victoria. And these units are predominantly misgendered, and women make up up to 80% of those concerns raised about sexual safety. Now, that's unacceptable. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, mental health services, you know, they haven't had much support from the governments, from the departments over the last many years. And it shows. It shows in the physical spaces we work in. And I do think, you know, if within the same hospital you go to a mental health unit compared to a medical or surgical unit, and if they feel physically different, if they don't feel therapeutic compared to, let's say, a medical or a surgical unit, we do need to call it out. Right? And I think, uh, uh, so I think I'll come to the bit around the workers because, as I said, you know, it, as you sort of said, that it hasn't really been talked about. Mm. I think it's important that one of the more extreme and harmful forms of abuse is the violence which is perpetrated against female health workers. And we have to remember, violence is sort of in workplace defined where incidents where you know staff they're abused, threatened, or assaulted whilst they're at work. Now this affects all health workers, but it is harmful, more harmful to women. Now. We also have to remember there are other intersectionality, other factors with the other uh, intersection, intersectionality factors like age, ethnicity, income. Uh, and it is almost hidden. There is, uh, it's almost like uh, it's just the tip of the iceberg, uh, the reporting which is done, uh, which is made for these incidents. Large part of it is unreported because it is expected to be, you know, so-called managed by the person who's at the receiving end of that abuse. There is a stigma around reporting it. And sadly, it is perceived sometimes as a normal practice or part of job. Uh, and I think uh, to achieve good quality healthcare system, we have to expect all rights, all rights of everyone involved, be it a consumer, carer, or a clinician, or any health care worker, their basic rights have to be protected, a basic right to respect. And we have to see it as an organization as a, and a system responsibility and not just leave it as an individual responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next up, I, I was kind of thinking about the processes that lead to this unsafety and the barriers that come up for people wanting to access psychiatric care, in particular, how gender exacerbates these barriers. So in particular, how does it do that when accessing bed-based services? So I'm thinking there is unsafety can present once you're in the ward, as you've described, but does gender actually affect someone's decision to go into care? And is there uh, an awareness of the unsafety that, that women and gender-diverse people could be in once they're in the ward? So I suppose, again, we can look at it as a bit of a big-picture thing where, you know, in addition to ensuring we have safe environments, safe environments for people, environments that are sensitive to a person's individual gender identity, sexual preferences. I mean, in addition to that, we have to ensure we are providing a whole repertoire of options of recovery for a person when they seek help from a system, that whole holistic care of biopsychosocial gamuts of treatment options, when people need it, where they need it. It can't just be in a crisis situation. 
And yes, it is not easy for a woman to seek that support if there is a high chance of them feeling rejected or their psychological distress normalized. And we also have to remember they frequently have additional care or responsibility, which makes it very difficult for them to access support when they need it. And more, you know, as I said, the intersectionality with other inequities like cultural and language diversities, economic inequities, rural regional locations are, are a big factor in how people are able to access help and support, LGBTIQ+. Uh, and I suppose uh, overall gender disparities in mental health are quite significant. Women are twice as likely as men to suffer from a mental illness. It could be anxiety disorder, mood disorder, eating disorders, complex PTSD, deliberate self-harm. And then we have perinatal disorders where there are higher rates for a woman to struggle with mental illnesses during pregnancy, post-childbirth, and the period after that. And there's a factor, you know, there's a whole mix of biological, social, and other factors which lead to these presentations. And um, and if you look at the factors, I mean, biological factors, uh, in addition to that, because I, I think I do want to focus today on the social and psychological factors. Yeah. The social factors where women, girls, trans, and gender-diverse populations, they do experience oppression, discrimination. There is a higher rate of emotional, physical, sexual abuse, including domestic, uh, family, sexual violence, and that does lead to mental illnesses and significant psychological distress. And sometimes it can be a bit of a double-edged sword in terms of how that psychological distress is seen because the psychological distress related to trauma, violence, it sometimes is considered an abnormal reaction and not an adaptive response. And that can lead to sort of it being misdiagnosed, pathologized, or the other extreme of it being ignored. So it is really important that we see women mental health as a specialized area. We mm. have to look at it as a need for delivering tailored services. And I think as a Victorian community, we also have to look at the broad root causes of those distress, be it gender and financial inequity, especially the gender-based violence. So there are so many factors in there, um, and we do need to look at that big picture too. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is basically there's a whole lot of societal things that increase the likelihood of mental illnesses in these groups, but also um, these same societal systems that kind of exacerbate the illness also provide an extra barrier to accessing care, um, even kind of apart from the process of being in care. So next up... Oh, okay. And even just with the options of those treatment, I mean, those treatment options are not there. So the biggest mm. barrier is unavailability of yeah. those options. Yeah, absolutely. So next up, I wanted to go into some of your opinions and also, um, yeah, I guess some some future ideas about how this might affect people in these communities. So along with women... Transgender diverse and culturally and linguistically diverse people face disproportionate challenges, as we just discussed. Do you think that these calls for action from psychiatrists at the moment on gender-appropriate care will improve the safety of psychiatric services for trans and gender diverse communities? And what's your opinion on mental health in Victoria being improved to address the intersecting needs of our communities? 
Thanks for that. Uh, you're absolutely right. And we've been discussing how mental health, mental illnesses, they are influenced by a whole lot of factors, including biological, psychosocial, economic, environmental factors too. And the mental distress is is almost an expression of totality of a person's overall experience, which includes the social and economic inequalities. And I think it's really important that as a system, we counter that gender blindness, the cultural blindness, the diverse needs blindness of the current mental health policy, which does end up making, you know, those diversity of experiences and the needs almost invisible. So the policies which reinforce that invisibility become ineffective and they actually become a part of the problem. So we have to, you know, as basic as having data around the communities we are serving in the hospitals. So the data are quite basic. We have to really build on the data to understand the needs and the expectations better so we can provide that individualized care. And these critical factors, you know, they are needed at that high-level policy framework setting in delivery of services so we can provide effective interventions. And those effective interventions can be prevention, diagnosis, you know, treatment options. And these disparities are massive. Like, I mean, women in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities have much poorer physical and mental health than other Australians. And if you just look at, you know, the suicide rate in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, it is highest within the age group of 20 to 24. And it is five times more than their corresponding non-Indigenous counterparts. So going back to current reform process in Victoria, it is a real opportunity to get this right, to get this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make it better for everyone involved. Mm. Yes, thank you for that. And this is our last question now. Um, I wanted to ask how listeners can support this call to improve safety for women in mental health care. And is there anything that consumers could do to advocate for themselves when at risk of gender-based harms in psychiatric wards or as preventative measures when preparing to go into a ward? Uh, that's a big question, right? Um, uh, I think uh, it's most important that we call it out. We call it out uh, in terms of this should be the norm in terms of delivery of that care in a health system uh, which is tailored to a person's needs uh, and expecting it as 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 a basic uh, expectation from a health system. But I think it's also really important that we go, we, look, we see this beyond an individual's responsibility to our responsibility, yes. our responsibility as a community, as a system, and put that expectation out there that, you know, this should be a priority for the system. And it is a basic human right of feeling safe and being safe in a health unit and have those treatment options available when a person needs it and when they're seeking it from the Victorian health system. So I suppose uh, it's really important that beyond the individual responsibility, we look at it as a collective responsibility. Yeah, I think that's a really important takeaway. And maybe lastly, I thought, was there anything in particular that you wanted to finish up on that you felt was really important to leave our audience with or our listeners with? 
just a you know mutual respect for each other's needs and understanding that you know we're all not the same we all have our own trajectories our own journeys uh and and uh, recognition of that and uh 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 advocating for it at the system level is just really important and it's a good time to do that so maybe reach out to your mps maybe reach out to premier dan andrews and minister for mental health and sort of say hold on what are we doing about this one so yeah yeah but thank you thank you for even having this conversation so i really appreciate 3cr for you know giving it a priority thank you so much for joining us asta um and yep If you heard that, call your MPs. Mental health is so important. I think we're all using it more than ever at the moment, which is both good and bad. It's good that I think we've got more awareness, but it has been a very challenging time for a lot of people. So thank you for joining us today, and I hope you have a lovely morning. You too. Thank you so much for having me. We were joined by Dr. Asta Thoma to cover the report on women-only psychiatric wards from the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system. Dr. Asta is the current chairwoman of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists Victorian branch as well as the head of Youth Mental Health Service at Peninsula Health. And please be advised that that interview did const- contain some distressing content addressing gender-based violence and if you require immediate support you can call Lifeline on 131114 you can call QLife for LGBTQI peer support on 1800-184-527 and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people can call 13YARN on 139276 you're listening to 3CR 855 AM we're going to head to another track now this one is spring to life by tia gostolo i 
And that was Spring to Life by Tia Costello. And you're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And now we will be joined by Shirley Winton, who is a co-convener of the Independent and Peaceful Australia's Network Victoria Branch, member of the No AUKUS Victoria Coalition and the Australian Anti-AUKUS Coalition, and has been involved in organising the mass rally calling for truce, not war, and commemorating the 20th anniversary of the US-led war on Iraq, which, uh, the rally of which will be held outside the State Library on uh, Saturday, 18th of March at 1pm. Shelley is also a long-time unionist and organiser with CWU and NTEU and member of Victorian Peace Network and Western Suburbs Peace Group. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Shelley. Thank you for having me. Well, yeah, so thank you for taking the time uh, to come on our lovely show. First off, would you mind telling our listeners um, exactly about what the No Orcas Collective does? So it's actually being called the Australian Anti-Orcas Coalition and is a broad coalition of organisations and individuals campaigning to stop the Orcas War Pact and Australian purchasing nuclear submarines. Um, so we believe that Orcas and the nuclear-powered submarines are intensifying tensions in the region uh, between the US and China and will lead to another endless US-led war. And this time it will be in our region, in this region, and potentially a new devastating nuclear war. The announcement of um, purchasing eight nuclear-powered submarines at a cost of $368 billion, and it's likely to blow out to more than $400 billion, is at a time of rising cost of living, rising interest rates, inflation, skyrocketing rent, and 20 to 25% increase in power that just has been announced. So um, we're talking about $368 billion of people's taxes basically spent on US preparations for war with China and propping up the US and UK ailing economies. And it's at a time that you know ordinary people are facing major crises in our underfunded and under-resourced public health systems, education, housing, um, the women and families fleeing domestic violence with insufficient support and resources, um, NDIS and climate crisis, and it's, the contradiction is just incredible in yeah, our view. Absolutely. Um, the AUKUS nuclear submarines and the force posture agreement enables extensive militarisation of Australia by the US. And it's solely to protect and maintain US economic hegemony in the region. It has nothing to do about defending of Australia. And more and more voices are speaking out about this. So China's economic rise is threatening the US global domination. And the nuclear submarines are a major risk to the safety of people and the environment in ports and where nuclear submarines will be based and will be visiting. Absolutely. The storage of nuclear waste from the nuclear subs is a major environmental problem and will be a need, especially for the First Nations people on whose lands the nuclear waste will be stored. So they are generally the outline of the issues around which um, the now AUKUS coalition um, is campaigning around. Yep, that so sounds like a really important the, and meaningful um, 
Meaningful Coalition, if we're going back to the anniversary of the, you know, the US-led invasion yeah. of Iraq, could you tell us a little bit more, you know, very briefly, why the US invasion of Iraq has been such a key and, you know, devastating event in our recent history and why the ongoing impacts of the event can be felt worldwide? Yep, yep. So, you know, I think everyone knows the consequences of the US-led invasion and the endless war against people of Iraq devastated the country and left it in ruins. And putting Saddam Hussein aside and whatever people think of him, um, before the US uh, war on Iraq, the Iraqi people had a well-funded modern health and education system which was accessible to all Iraqi women who were educated. And generally speaking, Iraqi people had relatively high standard of living. And the country's wealth came from Iraq's national oil. And this is what this this is the the basis, the reason for the war on Iraq. And the situation has changed now globally. Um, so um, the 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 outcome of this war today, Iraq has been is left a country in ruins, devastated and divided by ravages ravages of war, which and instigated warring religious factions. And in the meantime, Iraq's oil wells are endlessly pumping profits and wealth into the coffers of the fossil fuel and weapons corporations. So it was based on lies and fabrications, the whole war. Um, but the significance of Iraq is that the world continues on the same tra trajectory today. So it is this, it is continuation of the lies, the fabrications of facts that don't exist which, you know, propelling the world uh, for another war. And this time it has the potential of being a nuclear war. So the 20th anniversary is, a, is, is, being, is being commemorated to show that we don't want another war. We don't want another Iraq war. And the next war will be a global war. And there's some people saying it will be a World War Three war. And we also pay tribute to the people of Iraq uh, who have just been absolutely devastated um, and destroyed. By the, by the US-led war. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, the ongoing impacts of war are still felt throughout the world today. Um, and, you know, even when going back to your previous point, how there's always money, they, you know, there's always money for the military, but not enough money for social support and social services. Like, I don't think it always adds up <laughs> and the priorities yeah. seem to be a little out of whack. And, you know, when you're speaking about a potential... Um, war, what, I feel like what we're seeing a lot is the Australian government and particularly the media provoke the idea of, you know, a war with China in the next decade. Could you tell us more about why we really urgently need to build a, like a, a really strong grassroots resistance to war? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, we learn from history and experience, right? So time and time again, history and experience have shown us that we the people can't rely on parliament and politicians. That, you know, we've been sold out so many, so many times. There's the Iraq war. Um, it's just one example. But there's a string of wars that are, the Australian government has attached itself to. And parliament is basically um, is an instrument of big business. So not only big business, but um, as most recent experience with AUKUS and nuclear sub shows, that whoever's in government willingly complies with the US, with the US right, to protect US hegemony in Australia and also in the region. So building a broad grassroots movement um, that's, you know, that, that, that mobilises the people, that is for peace, 
and for resisting Australia's involvement in another US-led war is absolutely critical. And that's where the power and that's where the strength lies. And, you know, we may feel overwhelmed by the power of the forces pushing for the war, the media, the arms and fossil fuel corporations, the military-industrial complex, but we are the 99%. And when we, you know, when we're united, when we're aware, when we're organised, informed, um, then the people we are, are very, can be a very powerful force. 100%. And knowing that um, coming together, organising, being informed, that is truly one way, one of the many ways to really build a important resistance to to war. Um, yeah. And I think also, you know, maybe flipping to a, another side of the conversation, you know, when we're looking to build, you know, foreign relationships and treaties and, I don't know, a, a general call for more peace, what kind yeah. of, like, packs or ideas or, um, like, concrete things do you think could help the betterment of these relationships and, you know, for peace for the people living in the affected countries? I know that's a pretty big question, um, but yeah, I, I don't know what, you, what your thoughts are no, on that. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a very important question, you know, it's, it's a question that's at the centre of, um, you know, what is happening now and why we are in, in this sort of situation. And look, you know, and if we, if we look at the situation developing t- today, it's not dissimilar the period before World War One, when big power alliances were formed and reformed, and um, you know, and there was all the competition for uh, capture of resources and markets, and it's not that you know that dissimilar now. Um, and Australia's history, and I'll just talk about Australia, but Australia's history is that it's always been an, an appendage serving one or the other big power wars. There was the British, and now it's the and now it's the US, and. Um, to develop better relations with other countries, this is for Australia, Australian people, we need to have an independent foreign policy that's not tied or subservient to any superpower. And and to build that foreign relations, um, Australia's independent, peaceful foreign policies must uphold the respect and the sovereignty of, um, or respect the sovereignty of other countries and people. And we must sign the Treaty for the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And so the another, another aspect to all of this is another recently positive development is the, re, the re-emergence of the non-alignment movement. And that's a movement, um, the, it was a movement in the 1950s and 60s and early 70s of the newly independent countries in Africa and Asia um, who did not want to align to any superpower and they formed their own alliances and mutual support and equality. And this is beginning to happen today in our region, like Indonesia and Malaysia have spoken out against siding with either US or China in their, in their competition. And Australia will probably could have a role to play as a non-aligned uh, country. And I think that that's probably a step towards, you know, building those um, relations with countries and building friendship with the people and avoiding wars. Yep, 100%. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't fully answer your question, but no, it's only... No, <laughs> only no I think it's... No, it's, it. it's a wonderful, um, like, insight into how we can, you know, make improvements. And I think also with that, um, just very briefly for our last question, uh, what can we expect from the rally and how can, you know, our listeners attend? Uh, tell us all about it. Okay. Um, so the rally, the rally, as you've said, is this... That day, the 18th of March, is being organised by what's called a 
um, 18th of uh, March um, Peace Roundtable, um, and it's a uh, rally. Um, it has 12 organisations, or no, it's got about 14, sorry, organisations that are part of this roundtable, including Medical Association for Prevention of War and um, various other peace groups and community groups. Um, so what we hope, and, and, and the, the theme of the rally is um, a call for peace, uh, truth, not war. And that's an over-embracing and an overarching theme under which the organ different organisations can bring their own themes. But it's under that main unifying theme. And the idea is to bring, is start, you know, to start developing unity between, you know, a broad section of the people and organisation. And so some of the key messages that we want to convey now is that, is that now is the time to build a united and broad people's grassroots into a war movement for peace and justice, and that we must raise our voices in, as one and build that mass movement, and that war is not inevitable, and that understanding the real reasons behind imperialist war can be very empowering and is empowering, and it will sustain the anti-war movement. It'll, it, sustain it, it can sustain it for as long as it's necessary. And with lastly, that we must have confidence in the people and find ways, we must find ways to get the truth out in many different ways. And that's why three, the work of 3CI is just so, so essential, so essential. Oh, thank you so much, Shirley. Uh, um, yeah, I think, you know, as, as you've mentioned many times before, that, you know, being informed, having solidarity, being organised is, is key and that, you know, it is not inevitable and we can't imagine a different world for ourselves. But thanks so much for joining us here and today. Thank you. And just lastly, if anyone wants to, to join the Anti-Orcus Coalition, the No, no Orcus Victoria Group, um, our email is noorcusvic, that's one word, lowercase, noorcusvic at gmail.com. Thank Amazing. you for having us. Thank you. No worries. Thank you so much, Shirley. Have a good and day. Come to the rally. Come to the come rally. Come to the rally. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Nis. Bye. We were just joined by Shirley Winton, a co-convener of the Independent and Peaceful Australia's Network Victoria Branch, the member of the No Orcus Victoria Coalition and the Australian Anti-Orcus Coalition, and has been involved in organising the mass rally calling for truth, not war, uh, that commemorating the 20th anniversary of the U.S.-led war on Iraq, which will be held outside the State Library first of Saturday. Uh, sorry, Saturday, sa sorry, Saturday, State Library, 1 p.m. on the 18th of March. Thanks so much for listening. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, and this is 8 o'clock. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Kamanacha on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but Muckety is absolutely not a done deal. 
You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchus Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. They're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Passaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Accent of women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent of women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent of women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On community radio three CR. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And we're now joined by Slumber Kitty from Trans Queer Solidarity, who is going to be speaking with us about the solidarity contingent that's planned to resist two anti-trans events that are happening this coming Saturday, the 18th of March at Victoria's Parliament House Steps. One of these features UK anti-trans activist Kelly J. Keane, and the other one is led by far-right networks protesting queer and trans children. So uh, good morning, Slumber Kitty. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this. I think um, given the usual vilification in mainstream media of trans and gender diverse people or pretty uh, middle of the road diversity and inclusion type coverage that we sometimes get, uh, this sort of solidarity contingent action against um, you know, explicitly radically anti-trans actions um, really doesn't get you know much, much play. So... For listeners who aren't familiar, could you maybe start off by telling us who Kelly J. Keene, a.k.a. Posey Parker, is and why she's in Australia? Yeah, so Kelly J. Keene, um, who is using an alias Posey Parker, um, is an 
been the right activist um, who many describe as a, a turf or a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Um, and But she's more than just a, a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. She's campaigning against transgender rights um, much more broadly than that and has um, is building connections with um, racist um, moral entrepreneurs and racist groups on the right wing of the political spectrum. So I think it's, it's better to understand her as more than just a turf or anti-trans. Um, and she's she's from the UK. She's conducted like speaking tours in the UK. She's travelled to the United States and she's coming to Australia. Um, yeah, and she advocates for... Um, she, she opposes gender-affirming healthcare um, and opposes the, the right of trans and gender-diverse people to identify as whatever gender they might be, um, advocates against um, changing identity documentation, like uh, driver's license, passport, mm. kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And she's, you know, backed up by a few different organisations, um, depending on, you know, where she's speaking or trying to have a rally. Um, various Christian, right-wing Christian um, conservative groups um, might give her some money for, for plane tickets or accommodation or private security, um, as well as your more traditional like anti-trans or anti-LGBT um, organisations that are set up to, to campaign against LGBT rights. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, we're getting a little bit of interference on the line, um, but hopefully, um, I, I'm just hearing a bit of a crackle through the phone, but hopefully it'll it'll clear up. Um, but yeah, along with Keane's protest, there's also going to be a second anti-trans event that's happening at the same time outside Parliament that is run by far-right networks who are going to be explicitly targeting queer and trans children. So could you briefly tell us about this event too, just to further contextualize the sort of multi-dimensional nature of Saturday's solidarity contingent against gender fascism? Yeah, yeah. So we've seen from um, the, the milieu of right-wing um, racist, predominantly racist anti-migration type um, groups, in um, here in um, Melbourne, um, that they've they're sort of mo- moving their attention, or that often you know you'll see them take on a particular like Islamophobic flavour or a um, particular kind of racism, or particularly target certain groups within society. And at the moment, they're um, focusing their attention on young trans people, um, which which could be explained by the, the big anti-trans legislative um, attack on specifically young trans people in the United States, where we see over 400 um, bills passing different 
sorry, not passing, but over 400 bills. Um, uh, tabled, I think. Tabled, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think maybe there's four or five of them have passed, mm. but not many have passed, and a lot have been rejected, but it is very scary. Mm. Um, and there are some states in the United States that are really um, legislatively undermining trans and gender diverse people's right to exist or right to access healthcare or right to access education and these kinds of things. So we see right-wing racists and fascistic, if not openly fascist, organisations and groups here in Australia um, seeing their interests kind of align with anti-trans um, campaigners. And that's what's happening with um, Kelly J. Keane, a.k.a. Posey Parker's speaking to her and these um, right-wing and racist and fascistic groups in Australia, their interests are overlapping. Mm. And um, the plans for Saturday, um, obviously Kelly J. Keane's plans overlap quite nicely with um, with this, this group that's going to you know, specifically oppose... Um, young trans people's mm. ability to access gender-affirming care and that sort of thing. Yeah, so I mean, I think this this really speaks to the fact that, you know, whether or not these events are are connected to each other, they're, they're connected within a broader kind of landscape of, um, I guess, you know, anti-trans rhetoric that is overlapping with other pushes against, um, you know, immigration, pushes against racial diversity, Islamophobic kind of currents as well, and also, you know, kind of overlapping with some of the increased vilification of marginalized groups that we've seen um, continue to be inflamed since the the start of the COVID-19 pandemic as well. Um, yeah. So, so I'm wondering if you'd like to give us a bit of a a recap of and reflection on some of the disruptions that you've seen so far of Kelly J. Keene's speaking tour around the country, because I think the most recent one, um, I think maybe the most recent disruption was in Perth or maybe the most recent big disruption, but I know that there are actions planned around the country. Yeah, so pretty much every um, rally slash speaking event that Kelly J. Keene and her supporters have organised um, has been met with quite a bit of opposition from the community, um, you know, from people trying to stop these events from going ahead um, using various tactics, you know, before they occur. Um, but, yeah, we have seen in Sydney and Perth um, larger groups of people attend in opposition to Kelly J. Keane and the various other speakers um, that are speaking alongside her and people who are attending um, to oppose trans and gender diverse people's right to exist. Um, and so that's been that's been really fantastic to see, but also not a surprise because in Australia we have a very strong history in the last five or six or seven years particularly um, of pretty staunch... Um, trans and gender diverse activism and a, and a big, strong community supporting us, whether it's an Australian Christian lobby, um, transphobic event, or um, Trans Day of Remembrance, Trans Day of Visibility, Slash Vengeance, um, these kinds of events, or um, a campaign 
to save the Safe Schools Coalition, which was an anti-bullying program in schools that, through a moral panic um, against trans people, um, the the conservative politicians ended up getting the Safe Schools program Mm -hmm. um, defunded. Um, And there was, yeah, quite several quite big protests, probably the, the largest protests of trans people we've seen in Australia Yeah, um, around those ones. So we're going to see protests opposing Kelly J. Keane's events all around the country, um, and they're going to look different in mm-hmm. different places. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. you know. But, I mean, thus far there's been strong opposition, more mm-hmm. people um, turning up um, in support of trans and gender-diverse people than there are turning up um, opposing us. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, it's always, oh, it always is such a sweet victory to see um, the huge crowd of people in support of trans and gender diverse people um, as opposed to this sort of measly gatherings that people who who push, I guess, uh, you know, hateful and and discriminatory rhetoric get. Um, But finally, how can people show up to support the Trans Solidarity Contingent in NARM in person this weekend? And if any of our listeners aren't able to make it in person, are there other ways that they can join the fight against gender fascism? Yeah, yeah, I think think it it is really important for people to understand that this, like, bioessentialism that's at the root of both racism and transphobia and that um, that this belief that, you know, there's something inherently um, inferior or wrong about um, people of colour and that there's something inherently inferior or wrong about trans people. And those things really overlap between um, these groups from Kelly Kelly J. Keane to um, right-wing racist fascist group. Um, and it, there may not be many people attending their events. You know, there might be 20 people or 50 people or something, but it is so important that we turn up and swamp them, mm. um, not just symbolically, but also physically, to be able to swamp them, maybe even stop them from spreading their racist and transphobic and transmisogynistic messages. Um but also to support each other, make the space a lot safer. The more people who are there, the safer it's going to be mm. for everybody. Um, so don't leave it to just trans kids or marginalised trans and gender diverse people and people of colour who often are the ones that turn up for these things. Like the invite is out there for everyone to come out and support. Um, and in Melbourne, Kelly J. Keane is speaking this Saturday, the 18th of March. In, um, they've scheduled for 12 noon, I think, as their start time. And there's a number of different, um, contingents organizing to oppose her and the other speakers who are speaking. And one of them is the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, um, who I, their, their meeting time and place has been jumping around a bit. Um, and I'm not sure of the current update. Yeah, but um, I think um, they'll, details probably available via CARF and National Union of Student, Students, I believe, are organizing together, so via their socials. Yeah, and then there's another contingent organizing under the name of Queer and Trans 
struggle of queer and trans solidarity, um, which will yeah try and meet before the event as well. Um, and you can find uh, images and posters of, of and updates to the meeting time as you know we try and cat and mouse each other um, to stop the event from happening um, awesome. as we can. Yeah, and that's um, at Trans Queer Solidarity on Instagram, I believe, or at Trans Queer Solly on Twitter. Um, look, Slumber Kitty, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this this morning and uh, once again really encourage people to get out there. It shouldn't be us that are constantly putting our bodies on the line uh, to fight these people. We know that there's a lot of support for trans and gender diverse people, but we need to see it in a tangible way this Saturday. So thank you. Thanks so much for talking to me. And people can attend um, counter-protests in other places around the continent. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you. And that was Slumber Kitty, who's an activist involved in fighting for liberation from the Western patriarchal binary gender system and organizing with trans queer solidarity, who spoke with us about the solidarity contingent planned to resist two anti-trans events that are scheduled for this coming Saturday, the 18th of March at Victoria's Parliament House Steps. And again, you can find out more by heading to at trans queer solidarity on Instagram or at Trans Queer Solly, that's S O L I, on Twitter. You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. So here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ujoma Umbinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Ayan every Monday at 2.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law, 6pm Tuesdays. (laughs) 3CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. All right, and we're heading into our final interview for today's Thursday Breakfast Show with George Newhouse, CEO of the National Justice Project, who's joining us to speak about the upcoming relaunch of Copwatch, which is a campaign to empower Indigenous people to protect themselves from police overreach and discrimination. It was first launched in 2017 and involves an app, website, and community education program teaching Indigenous people how to legally record and document police misconduct for community safety and police accountability. George, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, Sorry about the technical difficulties on our end. We'll try and make this a quick one. So um, 
I just wanted to start off by um, talking a bit about the history of Copwatch. So I understand it was initially rolled out by the National Justice Project in 2017 with the intent of supporting First Nations communities to document and respond to discrimination and overreach by the police. So can you tell us a bit about the inception of the program and its intentions? Sure. Um, look, the the program was developed after the death of Elijah Doty in, uh, West, in the remote part of Western Australia. Um, we received a lot of complaints from First Nations families about um, racism, especially from the West Australian police, and they felt powerless to respond. And at the time, we looked towards what was going on in America with the Black Lives Matter movement and developed the Copwatch training program, which was designed to respond to police overreach and the discrimination that First Nations people find. And um, it, it initially provided First Nations communities with tools, knowledge and skills to improve engagement, trust and accountability with local police. Yeah. And I mean, I think it is really important that this was sort of developed as a, a tool that really enhances community agency around, um, you know, police accountability. And I think the, a key component is the education and training. So I was hoping you could tell us a bit about how this part functions alongside the, the, the app and, um, yeah, the online, the online components. And what are the key concerns people need to be aware of when they document police misconduct? Well, the first... Um when we first started training people, we realised, um, you know, uh, most individuals understand how to use uh, their mobile phone cameras, but to do it safely um, takes a bit more skill. And to use the evidence, to use what, what you record for evidence, actually re involves an understanding of the law. So we went out to initially Broken Hill, Kalgoorlie, Alice Springs, Perth, Brisbane and Redfern, and um, later on Dubbo, to train young people and community leaders in how to de-escalate um, interactions with police, how to film uh, police safely uh, and, and preferably at a distance um, to use for evidence, and, and how not to upload immediately. You see, one of the um, serious risks of... Um, video recording police is that young people think it's a great idea to post what they um, what they record on social media. Now, I don't know whether you saw, but today uh, the Queensland Police Force announced that they have a specialised group that are combing through social media looking for videos so that they can go out and charge young people with crimes. My goodness. So we, we, yeah, so we spent a lot of time not only just explaining how people can legally use their phones, but how to safely use social media and de-escalate their interactions with police. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's some of the information that people need to know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not about not bringing these issues to light, but about trying to figure out the most effective way to then, um, you know, get some sort of outcome rather than putting yourself at, in potentially harm's way if police are combing through your social media. Um, so Copwatch is set to relaunch next week on Tuesday, the 21st of March. And in the lead up, do you have any reflections on the impact of its first run? And have there been any, ch been any changes to the program and its aims? 
Well, look, I think it's as relevant today as it was when it was originally launched, if not more so. As I mentioned, um, you know, police are, are using social media more and more as a weapon against individuals. And people need to understand that. And, and discriminatory policing still exists. Police overreach, harassment, the lack of an, uh, accountability mean that it's really important for individuals to, to record police. You know, it, traditionally, when it was your word against a police officer in court, the police would be believed. But um, the mobile phone and capturing and recording interactions on mobile phones has totally changed it. Police cannot get away with lying if there's a video recording of what actually happened. And so it's still as relevant today as it was when we originally launched. Mm, absolutely. And um, I guess I um, I also wanted to, to ask where, where Copwatch will be available to use and where our listeners can find out more about the program. And maybe if you briefly wanted to comment about uh, whether it's possible to use this in other settings as well, um, you know, such as healthcare discrimination. Okay. First of all, you can download Copwatch, the app, for free from Google Play or the Apple App Store. It's absolutely free. Uh, it's Copwatch AU. There are a number of others around the world. Um, our Copwatch can only be used in Australia and, surprisingly, Papua New Guinea. Uh, people in the community in New Guinea are really complaining about uh, police violence in, in New Guinea and they asked us to extend the geographical reach to New Guinea but it's limited to Australia but you'll also find on the website sorry on the app a link to our website and that's got a lot more detailed information for individuals and also for, for lawyers and, and people who work with community to get some really um, detailed information about what's legal and what's not. Now I do want to take up your last point about filming in other situations. Copwatch is really designed to be used in, um, in public settings where police are interacting with community. Um, there are different laws that apply inside private property. Mm. So a hospital may be considered private property. Mm. There are laws of trespass and they may have rules about what you can and can't do there. So I'm not going to encourage people to do it because each state has different laws about recording secretly and in private. Mm. Obviously, if if the other party knows what's going on and consent, then it may be perfectly legal. But if you're secretly recording people in a in a private place, like a hospital, um, you may be breaking the law. So I don't want to encourage people no, to that's... do that. That's very good. That's a very good point, and I appreciate you um, drawing attention to that. Um, I just thought that I'd ask because, you know, there's the potential for people who may not be as well informed about this to see whether it translates across multiple settings. Look, George, I'm so sorry that we had to cut the interview a bit short, but I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, that's all we've got time for today.